0: Hello, and welcome to Life in Their Sandals. This is a podcast where we dive deep into the lives of biblical people to determine how we should live as Christians today. I'm your host, Chris McGrath, and today we have the great opportunity to talk about the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are now nearing the end in our Life of Jesus series, and we're here in this episode today going to tackle. Possibly the most important moment of the ministry of Jesus. And obviously, you can say this about really any episode we've covered, because every step of the way, this is where we had been leading. If you can remember from the beginning, Jesus came into the world as a baby with a purpose. The angels were there, the wise men later came and worshiped, the shepherds on the day were there to worship. Later, he was in the temple about his father's business. And you can go through every episode we've talked about and you can see the same thought in the mind of Jesus. It was all leading up to this, the redemption of mankind. Jesus was at first offering to restore the kingdom to Israel. And it didn't mean exactly what the disciples or even the Pharisees, Sadducees, or just the lay people at the time thought it would. He wasn't going to be a conquering king in the way that we thought of him, but he was going to purchase this eternal salvation for Israel and for all of us today. Jesus wasn't going to be who we thought he was necessarily, but he was going to restore the kingdom. But if we can remember from the time where he comes in in that last week in the triumphal entry and he sees the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep and he says, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you back to me? And it's an indication right there israel had rejected him although they were standing on the sides of the road crying out they did not want the kingdom he was offering and so here we find ourselves this was not plan b this was always the goal of jesus was to ultimately purchase salvation for mankind but it was conditional on the response of israel I do believe that if Israel had responded in the way that they should have responded, if they had recognized what Jesus was doing, that they had really believed, and not just a small minority, but if the overwhelming majority could have been wise and aware of the things that Jesus was saying and the kingdom language he was using, that Jesus would have, would have given them the kingdom he was surely offering them. And I don't know exactly what that would look like, but things possibly could have gone different. But of course, Jesus offering it to them knew they would not accept it because of his omniscience and his ability to understand the timeline in a way that we can't. And so here we are after that long recap, here we are at the resurrection. Jesus is still lying dead in the tomb. In fact, we pick up from last time, Jesus hanging there on the cross, his lifeless body. Joseph of Arimathea had spoken to Pilate to get the rights to be able to take Jesus down off the cross. Joseph was a wealthy disciple, and Nicodemus was another follower, the Nicodemus that Jesus had spoken to chapters before about being born again of water and spirit. When they took Jesus down off of that cross, they wrapped him in a linen cloth and anointed it with a mixture of myrrh and aloe, which fulfills a psalm in the Old Testament, and they placed him in a tomb. This tomb was cut out of a rock, and it belonged to Joseph himself, and was located in a nearby garden close to Golgotha. After he was placed in the tomb, then the tomb was guarded. The Jews were not satisfied with the blood-stained and battered and cut to pieces body of Jesus, but they wanted to make sure that the tomb was sealed and that a large stone was rolled in front of it to deny any of entrance. Additionally, Pilate ordered the Roman guards to be stationed at the tomb as a security measure. This was done to ensure the body remained undisturbed to counter any potential claims of resurrection. Again, Pilate didn't care about this, but the Jews cared a lot. The Sabbath. After this moment, Jesus was dead, he was buried, the tomb was sealed and guarded. We find the Jewish Sabbath begin at sunset. During this time, they would... uh, exercise and observe a day of rest, refrain from any work or activities. And so, because of this, the disciples and all the followers were filled with grief and shock, and they spent this Sabbath in mourning, trying to process the events that had transpired. They had been scattered, but now they're gathered, and they're so confused at what's been happening. This leads us to the early morning. The day begins on Resurrection Sunday probably as follows first there is an earthquake and then there's the descent of an angel in the opening of the tomb and as the tomb is open jesus is resurrected he has his body reanimated as he fills it again and is able to walk around he's able to live as he had lived before this time with a glorified body and not with the same human body although it still had the same marks of suffering, which we know from a later account. After this resurrection, this is where we start to see the interactions of the disciples and the humans. While it was still dark in the very early hour of deep dawn, as the Bible says, Mary Magdalene ran ahead of the other women and was the first to come to the tomb. And she found it open. In shock, immediately she runs back the nearest way to tell Peter and John about this fact. The other women who had set out with Mary were just now completing their two miles walk from Bethany to the sepulchre, and they arrived a little bit after the rising of the sun. An angel suddenly appears to them and gives them an urgent message to tell the disciples. Another party of women come a little later, and they see two young men, as they say, dressed in white at the tomb, and they receive words of comfort and instruction. About 6.30 a.m., Peter and John then arrive. John runs ahead of Peter. Peter, of course, catches up and then ultimately is able to enter into the sepulchre. Mary Magdalene came running a little later and saw the two angels out in front of the tomb again, after the other woman had already returned to give the message to the other apostles. Finally, at about 7 a.m., Jesus first revealed himself to Mary of Magdalene, but a little later... So, finally... At about 4 p.m. after Jesus had appeared to Simon Peter, we find Jesus then from about 4 to 6 p.m. walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples and one of them being named Cleopas. Finally, in the evening, about 8 p.m., he appeared to the 11, which was actually the 10, because Thomas wasn't there, in the room with the bar doors that he walked through. This was a never-to-be-forgotten day for the disciples. It made a new world for them and it made a new world for all of us disciples today in all the times that we live in. So again, to recap, we've gone through the timeline, but think of it like this, and the the narratives can seem convoluted, but there really was a timeline of events that transpired, and it's really unlikely that we've taken the time to study and piece all of this together ourselves, but it's so valuable to know. In that early morning it was Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James and Salome who prepared to go to the tomb. They found the tomb with the stone rolled away from the entrance and Mary ran to tell Peter and John and then after this moment Peter and John spring into action they both run to the tomb. John is faster so he outruns Peter and reaches the tomb first. Stooping down John sees the garments and the linen wraps. Stooping down Stooping down, John sees the garments and the linen wraps lying there, but he does not go in. But Peter arrives, and he just walks right inside, and he sees the linens lying there, as well as the cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and they were folded separately. The other disciple, John, who had arrived at the tomb earlier, then enters the tomb, and he sees what has happened, and he believes. The disciples then return to their homes. Mary Magdalene then comes back to the tomb and sees the two angels inside, who informs her that Jesus has risen. And then Jesus appears to Mary outside of the tomb, and she recognizes him, when she grabs onto him and is so thankful to see the Lord. Women report. After this moment, the other women then report to the disciples, the ones who had first accompanied Mary, but she had ran ahead earlier to go back and tell Peter and John now they go to report to the disciples all that they had seen and heard. And likely they were so astonished to receive this news. Jesus then appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, but they do not recognize him at first. And As they are walking, Jesus, the Bible says, starts from the Old Testament and begins to lay out the systematic theology that would lead them to believe in the resurrection. And as he's talking, the Bible says that their hearts begin to burn Within them, and never a man spake like this man spake. And finally, when he sits down and he hands them the bread to break the bread during the meal and prays, they recognize who he was and he vanishes. And then they rush back to Jerusalem to tell the others. After this moment in the evening, Jesus appears to the disciples, all except Thomas, who are gathered in a barred room where he comes to the side of the door without them knowing. Thomas is upset he doesn't see him and says, Until I see, Jesus' wounds, until I see this last evidence, this previous evidence that everything had gone wrong, I won't believe he is who he is. This is really a detailed overview, as we like to do here at Life in Their Sandals, of the events of Resurrection Sunday as it's described in the Gospel accounts. Starts with the discovery of the empty tomb, the encounters with the angels, and then the appearances of Jesus to various individuals and groups. And of course, this time period concludes with his ascension, but we will talk about that in the next episode. But what are some of the takeaways from this resurrection narrative? I think that the resurrection, and even the burial before, because without the burial, again, you can never have the resurrection, are two of the most profound, significant events that we have in Christian theology as a whole. So I just have many takeaways, um, as you can imagine, from these two huge events, but We'll go ahead and focus on just a couple. The first is this. This totally proved, and the ultimate demonstration, that Jesus had victory over death. In everyday life, death seems so final. It seems so destructive. We never see those who die again on this side of heaven. But Jesus, from the beginning, knew that death was just a doorway. Death was not the end, because your soul can never die, and we will all spend eternity somewhere. But death for Jesus was his way to purchase the redemption for mankind, to conquer sin and death, and to be able to provide the hope and insurance of life beyond the grave for me and you today. Our faith in Jesus would be misplaced had he not resurrected, but because he rose again, we know that one day death will not be final for us, but that we will have eternal life with him. Another takeaway is about our life here on earth, our justification, and God's ability to forgive sins. This process of justification, and if you don't know what that means, it simply means to be declared righteous by God. And ultimately, that's the approval we need, right? If I'm justified by what the Lord says, that means a lot more than if I'm justified by what I say. But the forgiveness of sins as well. Jesus' death on the cross was that substitutionary sacrifice as we spoke about a couple episodes ago. He took on himself the weight of the sin of humanity. His burial then symbolizes the completion of that atoning work. If he had somehow escaped death, if he had somehow not given up fully his life, then it wouldn't have worked but because he did die and he was buried. Then today, through our faith in Jesus, we receive forgiveness of our sins and are justified before God, we're reconciled in our relationship with him because we can identify with the death, with the burial, and with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, that's done through that process of salvation outlined in Acts 2.38 that we'll talk about more in the next episode. Following this, there's an empowerment through the Holy Spirit for ministry. And this was something that will kind of leave a cliffhanger for the next episode because that's what it's all about but the resurrection did not stop with the road to Emmaus it did not stop with him walking through the door but it continued into the Mount of Olives where he spoke to them one last time it continued later of course into the upper room and it continues today with all of us where we are resurrected when we receive the spirit of God within us just as the spirit moved back into the body of Jesus. All of us today are dead, lying in a tomb, waiting for his spirit to enter into our lives so that we can live. I hope you enjoyed talking about the resurrection of Jesus. This is just the greatest thing we could ever spend time to talk about. And I have one more point, and the point is this. I am actually, in a funny way, kind of recording this podcast on my wedding day, and I'm hoping to release it the same day, And I don't know why I'm doing this. Other than that, I just really want to get through this series and finish it before I go on my honeymoon. And another interesting part of this resurrection theology, another thing that I find so captivating is what Paul says in Ephesians 25 through 28. It says this, husbands, love your wives. It's going to be me in a couple hours. And how are we supposed to love? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. This word stuck out to me today. Obviously, it is colored by the events and experiences that are going to transpire today. But I wanted to say this to everybody, especially those who are married. If you're not, this might not apply so directly to you, but it might give a little bit of insight. We ultimately are called by Jesus. Apostle Paul was not writing his own ideas. He was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to tell us this. As husbands, we are to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. But how did he love the church? So much that he gave himself for it. We are called, if you can even wrap your head around this, to love sacrificially to the degree that Jesus loved sacrificially, where he was willing to go through the most unbearable pain and trauma in order to save people that he was not implicated in their wrongdoing. He was not implicated in the sin of humanity. He was spotless, he was clean, he was holy, but he gave up his spotless clean and holy life so that today we who have sin can trade in our sinful nature for the nature of Christ and to be able to be free from all sin in this life and the next. So I'm getting married today in Brooklyn if you're listening to this, I'm so excited to get married and this is a calling that maybe you can bring back up to me to tell me what I should be living up to but I thought I would throw that in there also today. There's a reason for love, and it's that when we truly love others the way that Christ loved us, the way that he gave himself sacrificially for us, it makes our life so much easier. Because when we love those around us, this is obviously talking specifically about A husband and wife relationship, but it extends beyond that. When we love those around us, when we treat our community well, when we treat others around us well, we reap the benefits of that. And so he who loves his wife also loves himself because he's making his own life easier by choosing to love sacrificially in the way that Jesus did. It is harder for a moment. It is harder when you're up on the cross. It is harder when you're dead in the tomb. But when you get the experience of a resurrection, when all that you have given comes back to you in a way that you can receive it, it is so much better than if you would tried to avoid sacrificially loving or sacrificially giving. That's no way to live and it's not a way that's pleasing to God. But give of yourself today. In whatever you do, give of yourself. Give unto others. Give and it will be given to you. Hope you enjoy talking about this today. I love this subject and I love life in the shandles and what we get to do on this podcast where we just dive deep for a few moments. I know I went way too long in this episode, forgive me, but if you're going to go along on any episode, it's good that it's this one. I hope you tune in next week. We will be talking about someone who is very integral to the story of the Bible, and I know that you will enjoy it. Hope to see you next time, but in the meantime, be blessed. Have a great week.